welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks so much for listening today. I truly hope you guys are continuing to stay healthy and safe out there. Let's see, one thing that is making me happy this week, it is a small thing, literally, uh, Meyer Lemons. Um, Not just because they're, you know, Meyer Lemons, so I feel like I have some ownership of them, Um, but I received a batch of Meyer Lemons in our weekly farm box that we get, um, which is cool because I didn't have to go to the grocery store for them, and I love, love, love lemon desserts, so I got to channel my inner Kath from Heartless and make lemon shortbread cookies and homemade lemon curd. Um, and it has all been delicious. Uh, and so that is the thing that is brightening uh, my dreary, rainy week here in Washington. Another thing, of course, that I am so happy about is that I get to talk to today's guest. He is a debut author whose NASA themed YA romance, The Gravity of Us, came out this past February. Please welcome Phil Stamper. Hi, thanks for having me. I also love lemon desserts, so I that would make me just as happy. <laughs> <laughs> we already have something in common. There's exactly. I was I grew up feeling like if it wasn't chocolate, it wasn't dessert. Um, so for a long, long period in my life, mm-hmm. I I did not give lemon the credit that it deserved, and now it's probably my favorite thing. Yeah, I've ignored many lemon cakes in my life, and I'm, you know, trying to make up for that, I think, in my adulthood. <laughs> Good. Uh, we, do, we do grow into things sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you are in the, the heart of this. You're in Brooklyn. How, how is life in your bunker right now? Uh, it's, uh, it's slow and quiet. Um, yeah, it's weird to see New York City like this. It's... Um, you know, there are still people on the streets and, you know, there there are a, a billion people who live on my block, it seems. But um, we're all being kind of respectful and not going out if, when we can. And, you know, I go out to take the dog out and that's kind of the only time I see the sun all day. So it's, mm. it's just very odd. Um, but, you know, I think kind of like Washington, we've been going through this for a while. So um, thankfully, we've learned how to make it work best for us, how to like minimize our trips to the grocery store. Um, So we're finally getting good at this. Um, And it seems to be helping, which is great. It's nice to see a little bit of positive news come out um, over the last couple of weeks, um, especially in New York. Yes, yes, for sure. I think at the beginning of it, everyone was a little bit like, why are we doing this and is it worth it? Um, and now that mm-hmm. we are seeing the the numbers start to go down, um, it, it does feel like, okay, we've made some good yeah, decisions. Exactly. We've, we've worked together. We're going to get through this. Um, yeah. So good. Uh, I have to, I have to tell you a, a little side story about um, your book. It starts out very okay. traumatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> just yesterday, one of my daughters, I have five-year-old twins, One of them fell off her bike and got a fracture in her wrist. um, I saw that on your Instagram story. Is she okay? She is okay. Thank you. Um, She, yeah, she's going to be fine. We're waiting to hear from the orthopedic doctor right now to determine if she needs to have a cast or not. Um, But while we were, you know, rushing her to the doctor and she was, of course, very upset and crying and in pain. And I asked her if she wanted me to read for her uh, for a little while. And I had your book, The Gravity of Us, sitting there. And she said yes. And so I started to read to her. 
Um, and it was maybe like a 20 minute drive and she didn't, she stopped crying and she didn't speak the entire time. And I kept like pausing and asking like, are you okay? Do you, do you want me to keep reading? And she, yes, mommy, keep reading. Um, and I don't think she really had any idea what the book was about other than it included astronauts. Um, and that was enough, (laughs) that was enough to hold her interest (laughs) and keep her focused on it. Um, so thank you for for being a part of that, that's, that story. I will always have that memory of reading the gravity of us as we're rushing to the doctor. (laughs) Well, I'm glad Um, it was able to distract her some. And yes, astronauts are very cool. So it's a good way to distract someone. Yeah, Um, no matter your age, astronauts astronauts are always in, I feel. Um, So for listeners who want to know about your book more than it includes astronauts. That's um, all you need to know. <laughs> right. What else is there? It's it's the number one. No, that's so not true. <laughs> There's so much in this book um, that's wonderful. Uh, tell listeners, what is the book about? Yeah. Um, so I like to pitch the story as a um, kind of a reimagining of the 60s space race. Um, so I'm not a sci-fi author and I have never wanted to be. I love reading it, but it's just always not been something that's been on my radar. I love writing contemporary, and but I've always had this kind of passion for the 60s space race, for um, well, for the current current NASA programs, um, anything with spaceflight really. And I was just like, okay, these are separate interests. I'm not going to ever be able to combine them. That's great. Um, and then I started reading more um, biographies about the 60s space race, and I realized that there was so much happening on the ground. There's so much like fantastic and terrifying drama that was happening like on the ground with these astronaut families who were kind of forced to uproot their lives um, and just like give everything up so that they could go with the astronaut husband to um, kind of become a star um, in these magazines, which is like not what anyone signs up for. Um, And I just like, I love that drama and I thought there was such a cool way that I could modernize it. So in this story, I wanted to make sure that I was, um, I was writing a queer love story and building that into, into it. So it is essentially a queer love story between two teens, two sons of astronauts, who fall in love while their parents are kind of vying for the same spot on the world's first human mission to Mars. I really loved the, um, the reality TV aspect uh, of yeah. this story. Um, I thought it was such a fascinating twist because you... I'd never thought of the space race like that before. And this idea of, you know, we're all so focused on these astronauts and, and this mission to get to the moon. Um, But you're right. It really, it did put the families in such a, an interesting position where suddenly they're celebrities um, and you took that and ran with it. Where did, where did that idea of incorporating the reality TV show aspect come from? Um, so that, I mean, I love when people kind of um, pick up on that because it, it's really not a um, it's not quite as random as it seems. Like when I talk about the reality show element of this, um, which and just to give some background, um, there's a reality show called Star Watch that is basically like uh, Real Housewives of Houston, Texas. That's happening. <laughs> um, you know, kind of a TMZ mixed in there. Uh, a very um, buzzworthy focused reality show that features the astronauts and their and their families and um, kind of brings an excitement to the mission that NASA hasn't seen since the 60s. So that's kind of 
that's how I wanted this media element to be kind of uh, presented. Um, and you'll find out through the story, you know, are they good? Are they bad? How do they help NASA? How do they kind of harm them or change the narrative? Um, but at its barest level, it is actually not too far off from what the real astronaut families in the 60s space race actually went through. Um, because they had so many different like overlapping layers of um, of like different types of media happening all at the same time. So they're like uprooted, they moved to this new house. They're, uh, the, the husbands are being, you know, assigned to flights, things like that. And then all of a sudden they have massive news coverage from local news vans, like being parked all day in their, um, in their yard. Um, they have all these local reporters, writers, wanting quotes, calling all the time. Um, and that all kind of makes sense. Like you, you look at that time and obviously like network TV news um, organizations, local news and, um, and like the New York Times and big papers um, as well as local papers, they all wanted to cover what was obviously one of the biggest things happening around that time. But also there was this element that Time Magazine, um, Life Magazine at the time, um, built into it where they actually got a contract to... Uh, um, to basically have access to all of the astronaut families' lives. And this, they gave them a lot of money for it, which is great and unusual because they were government workers, um, but it offered them a bit of a reprieve from the media coverage that was happening outside. So it was kind of a, okay, we'll invite you into our homes. You can take pictures. You can have exclusive interviews. Um, and that gives us a reason to say no local news truck you can't record in here you can't bang on my door at four in the morning that kind of stuff um, so it was a really precarious situation and um, oftentimes life magazine and all of the different types of media that were happening at the time were competing against each other and i thought in modernizing that that how would nasa how would they achieve that and one of the ways that it came to me immediately was a reality show element and then I started thinking of other um, kind of other ways of media that, or sorry, other types of media that would work in this. And um, obviously there's going to be a more traditional media element to it, but the today's traditional media is a little bit more focused on, you know, buzzy things, just like mm. social media and everything else is. Um, but then also I really wanted to, um, pit all of that against the main character who is a social media journalist and he offers a kind of um cal my main character offers a kind of transparency and really a um he, he has a very strong moral character we'll say mm -hmm. even if he's not right he thinks he is all the time um <laughs> I think that's we all we think we're all right all the time <laughs> exactly um but he's able to do that because this social media journalism becomes a way that he can, he can tell the real story in his mind, what the real story is. So you put something that's like real and authentic and coming from the voice of a teen um, who's using his voice for, um, for what he presumes is good. And most of the time it is, at least it's well-intentioned. And then you kind of pit that against um, the more buzzy um, reality show element. And so that offered just a conflict that carried, the entire book like there are a ton of different plot lines in there but that's one that like that from the beginning it starts off pretty stressful and it ramps up all the way through the end it does no and i thought it was so 
well-crafted. Um, and I loved, I mean, especially it being, of course, a YA book that you have Cal, who's a teenager, who's, you know, kind of a social media phenomenon in a way. Mm-hmm. And kind of opposing this very successful adult run TV show. Um, and it felt very timely, you know, obviously fake news is a word that gets bantered around and has now for a number of years. Um, yes. And it kind of, it'd be so easy to interpret, you know, Cal and his social media following as just, you know, buzzy and and fake and just going for the hits and the mm-hmm. watches and whatever. Um, but you really turn everything on its head in a way that uh, that I thought was really well done and really fun to read about. Yeah, and and I actually so that was inspired kind of specifically from some of the um, some of the so I, I was actually after the um, twenty sixteen election I was writing it around that time and so I saw a lot of teens kind of starting to use their voice um, in a more impactful way and the way they were getting traction was through social media and so that's why it, where it just really made sense in this YA book that like if someone is going to use their voice for really anything they're passionate about, regardless of the topic, um, they're not going to be writing op-eds for the New York Times. Like they're not going to be um, producing reality shows. They're going to be on social media and they're going to be, you know, yelling at their phone the whole time. Um, and like, that's, that's how you do it. And that's, how, that's what works. And so I really wanted to show that, you know, we start off, he's already in his stride. He's not building his following. He is, is in it. Um, and I really liked playing with that kind of dynamic. Yeah. And it was a great reminder too, that everybody does have a voice. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if you can get your voice out there and, and get your, your people tuned into what you're saying, uh, that everyone is in a position to make a difference, uh, in this day and age, which mm-hmm. was a really cool message. And I think something that probably a lot of your readers love to see and love to hear. Um, yeah. so do you think that if reality TV had been a thing in the 60s, would they have done a reality TV show? Because it seems so believable. Yeah, I don't know. I I can't imagine they wouldn't have some sort of element like that. And that's, I, I, think, I think it makes more sense now because mm-hmm. there are so many competing forms. There are so many things out there that are competing for your attention. Um, like even just normal, like, do I watch a movie or do I, you know, pick up a book? That's why I never read books because I have eight other things like <laughs> pulling my attention away. I do read books. I read a ton of books, but I always <laughs> feel like I should be reading more as an author. Um, so like you have all these things fighting for your attention. And so what captures your attention more than like the, new, the next like Real Housewives installment? Like that is a kind of energy that like totally makes sense to use in an environment like that where it's like yes this is a governmental thing this is space by this is something that's very important um and when cal sees that he's kind of averse to it not specifically because he hates reality shows or anything like that he, he doesn't really have anything against reality shows in general he does have um he does have some feelings about like clickbait and things like that that's mm-hmm. kind of separate from his feelings on reality shows but it was not that his problems were like reality TV in general is something that he doesn't like. It's more that he saw so much about the project that he loved that was rooted in science and um, kind of exploration and the experience of like getting to the moon, for example, was not something that we liked because the 
astronaut families were perfect and charming and like were had really well written pieces in life magazine that obviously helped it um and it helped the program in general but like if you look back on it you're you are amazed at the fact that we made it to the moon we that it was a huge technological moment it was a huge scientific moment and achievement and so he wants to bring that back because NASA had a, a weird balance back then, but they at least had a balance of like mm-hmm. the focusing on the science. And so when Cal enters, he kind of, he feels that they've lost that. And so he's, and NASA also kind of feels like they've lost it throughout because they are a little bit more desperate for um, for funding and you can't have funding without support and you can't have support without attention. You can't mm-hmm. have attention without. So it's like, it's one of those um, issues where, I mean, it's even happening Right now, they're trying to gain momentum and support for um, the Artemis project that's happening right now. And it's, you know, maybe they need a reality show. I will see. <laughs> I was going to ask, have you pitched NASA? Like, I have an idea. I have a solution for you. Oh, my God. I, well, I'm waiting for the perfect time because literally, like, it, I think it was like a month before the book came out or really very close to my release date. They, um, they announced that they were... Um, they were opening their candidate search for astronauts for the Artemis project for um, like throughout anyone with a, it was like anyone with a master's in science could apply basically. So they're like really broadening their scope for astronauts. And like, that's kind of something we enter into with story that I wrote four years yeah. ago, which is How so weird that it's like, it's bizarre when those things happen. But um, anyway, I'm going to pitch the reality show to them very soon. Okay. Um, but I'm just kind of I'm waiting for the first ones to be selected so that um, so that we really know, right? We really know it's going to work, right? So I hope they pick very interesting personalities. Exactly. <laughs> we can all watch them. It works. Wouldn't that be nuts if it actually happened? Um, oh God, I would love that. Yeah, but then, of course the nutty thing is it doesn't seem that nutty. It totally seems like something that they would do. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in the book is when Cal and Leon are, they're in NASA um, and they meet mm. a, a character named Carmela who sh- it's like her job to design the simulations um, that the, to test the astronauts. Yes. And if this goes wrong, now what do you do? And okay, but now this goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Now what do you do? Um, and it, it opened this scene into a, a really great conversation in which Cal and Leon are asking each other, which side would you want to be on? Do you want to be the person creating the simulations or do you want to be the person, mm-hmm. uh, the astronaut trying to figure it out? And that gave us um, you know, a great kind of window into both of their personalities. Um, mm-hmm. And so it made me want to ask you, which side would you want to be on? Oh God. Oh, that's such a good question. And nobody's asked that. And that's like one of my favorite moments in the book because I mean, it's the it's one of the nerdiest moments. So like <laughs> literally it was just like put everything cool into one chat. I mean it's all cool, but like that was that was loaded with um nerdy stuff. Um because I tried to balance like a lot of the real science that would be happening, stuff that you know that I saw from kind of a bajillion documentaries from the Apollo missions, like that kind of stuff. Um and you know, I wanted to to highlight that role and Carmela is amazing and I, you know, the little time she has on on screen, we'll say, um, she kind of steals the show. She uh, does. Which I love. It's funny because she's not a huge character, but she. I, I came away from the book with her being one of my favorites. Like, I just want to be buddies with Carmela. <laughs> I yeah, and I just got a um, I 
tweet actually like this morning, I think that was like somebody standing Carmela. And I was like, Oh my God, like good, good taste. <laughs> by far. But like, um, I just, I was just kind of amazed that like, you know, you write these side characters and you want them to have developed stories and you do the best you can, but you know, they don't have enough page time for you to really get into like any of these characters could be their own book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I love, this is all just, by the way, me stalling so that I don't have to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did kind of feel like, you know, but we're, you haven't answered my question. Yeah, no, just like the, the vaudeville music starts playing and I like tap off the screen. Um, <laughs> no, um, I, I think I, I, I hate to cop out, but I think I have to be a mix of both because I am both sides of that conversation. Hmm. Um, and that's why it was so easy to write that scene um, because I do want to be like, I, I'm an author, I'm very good at branding and leading and like that kind of stuff. I like to be the face of things. I would love to be the one in there solving problems, um, taking care of things. But then on the flip side, I really love the intellectual aspect of like, here are a hundred things that could go wrong. I'm going to make that happen so that if it does happen in real life, you can pull from that knowledge. Um, because I think one of the most fascinating, like, kind of stories from the research um, that I found was like, there were, um, oh my God, which, I forget which launch it was. But basically there was, so there was um, a pretty critical moment in one of the Apollo missions where um, kind of the difference between failure and success and, you know, whether that meant like landing on the moon or just a successful mission. Um, there was one moment where a one of the astronauts had to recall um, one of the hundreds of training exercises that they did refer to a manual that they created for that so that back in Houston, they were able to find that manual, flip to the right page, and then give them measurements or something that they could use as a way to fix it. So it wasn't even the exact issue that they had gone through before, but it was just like you had to have so many wrong things happen or like mm. happen in your mind um, that you had to plan out all these things that could go wrong just so that they had this huge resource. Like you were supporting astronauts in a way that like no other, uh, in like such a unique way. Um, and so I always, I love that, but I guess I would, I would have to, I would prefer to be the astronaut. I really like the attention. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> now that I've said all that, I'm just going to scrap that. I know. <laughs> no, I love that, that the reason you want to be the astronaut is not like for space exploration and the, the to further mankind. I, you just want the attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not really looking forward to like the whole pooping in a tube for a week, but like, you know, I like the I like the attention. You know, there's a lot of cameras out there. Um, you know, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and. Like, like 17 astronauts come from Ohio or something like, so it's, and I'm from really? Ohio originally. So I think it's just in my blood. Yeah. I'm from Dayton, which is the birthplace of aviation, according to our, uh, license plates. Um, <laughs> cause Orville and Wilbur, right. were born there right. and lived there. Um, and then they like took a drive to city or Kitty Hawk once and they claimed that North Carolina is where flying was invented. Interesting. Even though they Do built everything in Ohio. Is, is the, that having the, the ties to aviation, is that why you think so many people from Ohio are inspired to become astronauts? Like what's, is there a connection yeah. there? I really oh. don't know. And I, I think there, I think part of it is because there's such a like big military connection in Ohio. And mm. I think there's just a lot of people join the Air Force and a lot of people in the Air Force at the time just kind of wanted to push their 
push themselves to the limit and that was just a good option. Um, so I think most of it was just circumstantial and a lot of people from the military who voluntarily joined were um, just happened to be from Ohio compared to some of the other states. But mm-hmm. I also think, um, I don't know, I, I, me personally, what I've always loved is just like, you know, as, as raised like stargazing and like, I, I miss that in New York and I love, um, you know, I love just like looking up at the stars and like being like, wow, we landed on the moon. And, like, it's just something that's always been a part of, um, a part of my interests. And I, I don't think that's an Ohio specific thing, but mm-hmm. like, who doesn't like to look up at the stars and kind of wonder. And I did a lot of that as a kid. So I think that definitely had to lead to this in some way. Yeah, no, I think when you really do stop to appreciate it, it is very magical to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were talking about the astronauts and, and have it, the training that they went through and all of the things that they that went wrong in these simulations again and again. And also in the book, you know, talking to Carmela mm-hmm. and her laying out like the work that she does. Um, I couldn't help but feel like there's a ton of parallels there to being a writer um, and how like one of our jobs as a writer is to make things go wrong again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and then see, watch the the characters kind of scramble to get it right. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why I, I connected so much with Carmela too. Is yeah, there... that's such a good connection. And I've never, I, yeah, I, I, sorry, I don't know if you're about to ask no, this specific thing, but, um, but yeah, I've never actually drawn that conclusion myself. And, um, it, but it does make so much sense that like, you know, that's what we do. We, we write, we rewrite, we think ahead um, and we have to plan for eight different outcomes and then when the ninth outcome comes we have to be ready for that as well and we have to adapt and it's just kind of the perfect role for a writer yeah Um, and it totally makes sense that you kind of see that process in her work yeah you know writing and being a nasa scientist very similar occupations that's what i've learned Um, uh, yeah. Was there any character? The end. That, the end done. <laughs> Sign off on that note. <laughs> um, were there any characters that you felt like you strongly connected with more than the others? Ooh, yeah. So my my favorite character, which is not like a popular answer, um, but my favorite character is Kiara, who is the jaded Starwatch really? journalist and producer. Um, and I loved writing her more than any other character on there. And like even Cal, I mean, Cal, I love, obviously he's, he's up there, but like there's sometimes when you're like working with a side character and you really get to, to push them and challenge them throughout the book, um, throughout the like edits and like the development of the book that like, I just, I, I, I got closer with her. She was kind of a cardboard cutout when I first wrote the book. And it was really nice to see her grow. And I don't think she has a redemption arc and I don't think she's a great person. I want to point that out there. But I do think that um, she is, she's kind of like a 23-year-old version of Cal. And that's how I really wanted mm-hmm. to write her. Like she was the top of, her cl- top of her class. She did everything right. And she gets stuck with a job she doesn't really like, doing things that she doesn't really agree with, but she has to do them. And then she's she's having her own battles throughout the story of, of like 
you know, her journalistic integrity while she has this teen who's telling her that she has no journalistic integrity. And it's such like a challenge for her because she does want to help. And there are times that she helps Cal out and throughout the book. Um, and again, not in a like redemptive arc, but it does show that there's a lot of depth, depth to her. And I'm really, I love characters like that, especially with those with like careers that move on beyond this. Um, because, you know, she's going to figure it out and she's going to be an awesome 25 year old or an awesome 30 year old. And I really have that faith for her. Um, so I see a lot of myself in that. Cause like, you know, when you, I don't know about you, but when I, when I was 22, 23, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was in jobs that I didn't particularly like, um, or I like, liked them enough, but didn't really believe in. Um, and I was like, why did I work so hard in college for this? And then, um, so I got to kind of unpack all that, even though like this is a YA book, most of the the, the readership that uh, it's obviously aimed at are people that, you know, are teens and have not yet gone to college and have not yet become jaded. And I don't want to like steer them wrong. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think that um, she was just such a, an interesting character. And I wanted to show that like being an adult is weird. And even when you're an adult and then you become 23 and you're like, wait, I'm, I'm even more of an adult now technically but I still have no idea what's going on and like just I mean actually through this whole book there's different ages of people saying they don't know what's going on with their lives mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> that's always a great thing to like a refreshing thing for me to see because it always feels like everyone has it together um, and so I guess my second answer for that would be Becca which is Cal's mom um, because I wrote a lot of my experiences with anxiety into her character um, because I really wanted to see her anxiety on the page normalized. And I also wanted to kind of speak back to the 60s space race at the same time for all of the astronaut wives who did not get that opportunity and weren't able to be kind of honest and, you know, work with therapists or anything like that because it just wasn't really a time where people could do that. Um, And it was to a lot of the wives and families kind of it damaged a lot of their um, relationships and their ability to kind of process things. So that was another character where I put a lot of myself into, but then also she, um, uh, she was a good reflection of, of her, her time versus the sixties, which I thought was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, both with, with Kiara and Becca and really kind of a lot of the characters actually in the book, you, you've really balanced um, you know, the, the, the character weaknesses, they're not bad people, um, you know, and we can really see that trajectory um, of, you know, you can have flaws and still be a human yeah. being and still be doing I mean, things I, in your life that, you know, trying to do your best. Yeah, exactly. And I love, I love writing kind of in the nuance of like, not totally bad not totally good and it's so hard to do that sometimes because we're also so used to to books where you you know you open the page and there's there is your antagonist and like sometimes mm-hmm. that that works for a lot of stories but I think in especially in contemporaries it gets harder and harder because sometimes there's no clear antagonist or the conflict just is changing as it happens um, so that's something that I always love to play with um, and it doesn't always read perfectly to everyone and not everyone enjoys that and that's totally I totally get that like like I I do not if you read Kara and you hated her you're also right like I don't (laughs) want to say that like my interpretation is the only one that's just kind of what I was aiming for 
Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of nuance with these characters and I wanted to make sure they were developed and kind of real. Um, and, and yeah, and how Cal deals with each one of them is different and he's learning along the way, which is also kind of, it's, it's, it's fun. it was fun for me to have a character who was like so stubborn, but also totally open to learning and becoming a new person along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you do. There's a lot of great arcs in this. And you, you mentioned before that Kira doesn't have a redemption arc. I'm not sure I agree. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like she does have a bit of a redemption moment um, that, that I thought was very true to her character and her storyline. Yeah. Um, so she, I, she does know, have a, a redemptive moment at the end, but I wanted to make sure that I didn't lean on that too heavily because mm-hmm. I didn't want people to come away from that to be like, Oh, she was good all along. Cause like she, she certainly was not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, right. But she, you know, she made choices as we all do. A lot of them are bad. Some of them are good. Um, and, and yeah, I, I did want to have that moment for her because I felt like her character, it would have been to leave it how it was, I think was perfect for Cal. Like he was totally happy with how they left their relationship or their like friendship, we'll call it. <laughs> um, and then having, you know, that bit at the end, which you know, no spoilers for anyone. So mm. thing happens at the end in the epilogue. Um, and you get to learn a little bit more about what she's been doing since just yeah. a little bit. So right. a little touch to, to confuse you. So if you're already <laughs> angry at her, then, um, then you're like, wait, should I be angry? Or you get more angry, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, but it felt, it was a really great little moment. It didn't yeah. have that feeling of like, oh, we're just trying to put a happy little bow on anything. Like it just felt like, yeah, that right. is a, a very natural outcome of everything that happened. Exactly. Um, what are you working on next? Oh, a lot of things. Um, not getting much work done, but technically I'm working on a lot of things. Um, so I have a lot of projects that are um, in the works, can't announce, can't talk much about. But my uh, sophomore novel actually comes out uh, February of next year. Um, well, that's the plan. Obviously, things change a lot in this climate. So um, I hope you'll follow me along with <laughs> whatever changes happen. Um, but yeah, my second uh, book comes out and it's another uh, gay contemporary YA. Um, I was able to like finally say the title, which is As Far As You'll Take Me. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Do you want me to tell you a little bit about it? Please do. I absolutely would love to know more about it. Because I'm allowed to like talk about these things now, uh, which is great because you spend so long like not talking about things. You're like, wait, can I? I know. Uh, I know. About it's my a book weird... that I wrote years ago. No? Yeah. That in between <laughs> period can be very strange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so as far as you'll take me, it, uh, it follows a 17 year old named Marty Pierce, who is, um, he's an anxious gay teen, which is apparently all I write. Um, but you know, it's authentic. Um, he's an anxious gay teen who, um, graduates high school early so he can flee kind of a not so welcoming environment in rural Kentucky. Um, so he has like very religious parents and much of a support group there. Um, and, he, and he ends up moving to London to pursue his dream of being a professional oboist. Um, and what I really love about it is that it, it becomes somewhat of a found family story where he falls into this wonderful friend group. Uh, he dates a boy for the first time. They go on Euro trips together, which um, I wish fulfillment just in general. Your Euro <laughs> trips are great. Um, and these are all like things he's just never gotten to experience before. But it's not all shiny because his new boyfriend isn't exactly the best and his anxiety kind of gets in the way a lot. Um, And he's just really kind of struggling where he, to find out kind of where he fits into this new world and how he can stay true to himself, but also 
you know, find out how to enjoy being himself for once. Um, and I actually, I lived in, um, so I lived in London for a year and I, um, I mean, this story is fictional, of course, but uh, the places they visit, I, um, I used a lot of our travel as inspiration for like the places they go and describing the settings and things like that. And that was kind of a fun way for, um, for me to memorialize like my, um, my travels during that time. So you get to use travel as research. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, I should have done that on my taxes years ago. Like, <laughs> this is future research. <laughs> if only we'd known. Everything exactly. counts as research. I'm a writer. That's how yes. that works. <laughs> exactly. Okay, we are going to finish this off with a happy writer lightning round. Ooh, okay. Uh, question one: What book makes you happy? Ooh, um, I would say. Uh, Running with Lions um, by Julian Winters is an amazing uh, queer YA book um, and it makes me happy every time I even think of it. What do you do to celebrate an accomplishment? Um, champagne. Um, I, I have champagne. It depends what it is, but we try to celebrate with either like champagne or we'll like get carry out if it's like I'm signing a contract or something that like I don't want to do too much about. Um, or if it's big, then we'll go to dinner, or, like have drinks with our friends, that kind of thing. How do you fill the creative well? Um, I do try to disconnect a lot. So I'll play video games, um, which I love. And um, I will watch TV with my husband. Um, I will have, I will take a break from social media. That always helps me um, creatively as well. Um, so that's mostly what I do. What advice would you give to help someone become a happier writer? Um, I think set boundaries is, is my biggest advice for everyone. Um, I think I think it's hard. It's set boundaries first for yourself of, you know, I'm going to write for two hours and then I'm going to stop or I'm going to write. I, I don't really like doing this for word counts, but um, if that's how you like to operate, then a thousand words, sure. Um, and then give yourself a break the rest of the time, because if you do set up those times for yourself where you're like, I'm going to be productive now, um, or in an hour and you do that, then you will feel accomplished. And then you won't go kind of be like, Oh God, I never did. I never wrote, um, but I was going to write today, but I didn't. And then I kind of um, feel bad about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you won't be so hard on yourself. That's really good advice. Lastly, where can people find you? Um, so I'm philstamper.com um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you search Phil Stamper, um, I always say that I am the Phil Stamper who is not a pro wrestler. Um, <laughs> and that narrows what? it down, actually. So I, that's, that's, a, that's somehow a different person, I know. Um, but yeah, it's good to share a name with someone who is... Um, who is also of notoriety in a very different way because we get each other's notifications from time to time. (laughs) And it's just the best thing when he gets tagged in like this weirdo writer thing and I get tagged in like WrestleMania (laughs) something. And I'm like, I'm like, something's wrong here, but thank you. (laughs) Oh, funny. For the longest time, people would confuse me with Marissa Mayer, uh, like the Yahoo, Um, Google VP. Yeah. yeah. I used to get a lot of people like really angry tweets from people about their Yahoo email not working. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Anyway, that's but I, that's not quite as awesome as being confused with a pro wrestler. <laughs> 
yeah, no, I mean, it, it is very fun to, to get those tweets. I like to share them sometimes. So yeah. follow my Twitter and you might see some, some <laughs> things that are not meant for, for me because they're really fun to talk about. That's awesome. Um, all right. Thank you so much for joining me, Phil. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. My pleasure. Uh, readers, make sure to check out The Gravity of Us, which is available now, and follow Phil on social media, not the pro wrestler. Um, although I guess you, you can, can follow, follow him too. too. Yeah, you could follow yeah. him both. Why not? <laughs> um, and now, of course, more than ever, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you will always be in the know about new episodes. And you can find me on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy out in your bunkers, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happy.